Praise the Lord. Well, you know, as a as a pastor, it's my jo- job to feed the sheep good. And but you know, I was thinking since Dr. Brown's been teaching the last few two Wednesday nights that you know, like any any good rancher would have a vet come out and check his livestock out every now and then, you know, and see what their the the health of the and welfare of the animals were. And so, you know, I kind of feel like when I've had Dr. Brown up here, I'm doing something that maybe you're not going to hear just everywhere about preaching about the four pillars of health. And last week, you know, I got excited when he was teaching about renewing the mind because, you know, I, I got saved in 1985 and and got into the word of faith pretty quick. And, and you know, I heard a lot of messages, a lot of good messages on renewing your mind. But I never, I don't believe ever had anyone sit down there and tell me that what was going on and what I was doing by memorizing the Word of God and confessing the Word of God over my life, that it was actually physically changing the neuron path in my brain, you know? And that was just to me, I was like, wow, now I'm actually, you know, going to get to share something. Well, I'm, he's going to get to share something with you, but uh, actually showing you something that is taking place. Amen. And so, Dr. Brown, I asked him to come on back up for uh, this Wednesday and, and pro- probably next Wednesday. And so, come on back up and get going and share with us. Y'all give him a hand clap. Thank you, Pastor Robert and everybody. I'm trying something new tonight technology. I'm not sure how it's going to work, but we'll give it a shot. Um, So tonight, what I'm going to do is take a step back from what we've been talking about uh, last week on mindfulness, and I fully intend to continue talking about mindfulness and drilling down into more detail uh, next week. Um, But tonight, what I wanted to do is talk on what I consider a really critical topic, especially in the day and time that we live in, and that is the topic of well-being, well-being. Um, and, and just to kick off, what I want to do is just start with a dictionary definition from Webster's Dictionary of what well-being is, so we can all kind of be on the same page. And that is the state of being happy, healthy, or prosperous. And it's synonymous with the word welfare, not government welfare, but welfare in terms of happiness, health, and prosperity. But uh, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to talk from a medical viewpoint or a health viewpoint about well-being. But before I get there, I, I want to start us off on a scriptural foundation for well-being. So get your Bibles out and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you know this verse. You've memorized this verse. I've memorized it, and this will be in the Revised Standard Version. But, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So, that word, the Hebrew word for that's translated plans here, uh, may be 
I know my thoughts in King James. So that word can mean plans, thoughts, and intentions. So God's total plan, His total thinking about us, all of His thoughts in Psalm 139 are like the sand of the sea, sure. All of His thoughts about us, His intentions for us, all of them taken together are for our welfare. The word for welfare, the Hebrew word, which uh, I'm sure you've heard of, is shalom. And it can be translated as peace, and it often is, but it also means completeness and soundness. So completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. That's what he's talking about here. So complete, meaning we lack nothing. There's, there's not a a part missing. We're complete. His thoughts about us is for our completeness. Our soundness it really deals with our body, that we would be sound in body. And the welfare and the peace. Um, peace is like um, uh, just overwhelming uh, composure and, um, and, and, and not being um, troubled. It's peace. That's what He has for us. So His plan for us is our welfare or our well-being. And why? To give us a future and a hope. It's not for evil. It's not for, and the New American Standard says calamity. It's not for calamity. There's a lot of calamity going around today. But that's not His thought toward us. It's for our welfare, our well-being, to give us a future and a hope. Now, hope is really, really important. I'm going to end the talk tonight talking about hope, because hope is the glue that holds our well-being together. Without hope, it all falls apart. So we have to have hope in order to have well-being. And that's what he's giving us. Well-being, a future, and a hope. Now, that's well and good, but I want to take it down a little bit more into what he's really doing for us. So flip over towards the back end of your Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're going to look at 23 and 24. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Now may the God of peace, so there it is, the God of peace, make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for He who calls you is faithful. So not only is He promising and saying that my thoughts, my intention, my plan for you is your well-being, but He says, I'm talking about your well-being in the, in the sense of you being set apart, being holy, being, being sanctified, and being whole entire in your spirit and your soul and your body. All together, everything that makes us up, He's saying, I am going to, to complete it. I am going to make it, and I'm going to, it's going to be blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. And it says, 
I will make this happen because I am faithful. That's what he's doing. Okay, so that's, that's awesome. That is good news. But then there's a slight problem, and that is John 10.10. 10. We have a thief. There's a thief. And that thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have that abundantly. My, I came that you would have life in well-being in the totality of who you are. But there is a thief who is out there that wants to steal your life. He wants to steal he wants to kill. He wants to destroy. And where is he going to do it? Where does he attack? He attacks in the body and in the mind. And I've already talked about this in the previous teachings. So what are we going to see? We are going to see mounting stress. The, the, the enemy is going to try to put all the stress that He can on us, load us with stress so that we are under chronic, chronic stress, that HPA axis comes into being, we, we either going to fight or flight, and, and it's constant pouring out adrenaline and cortisol and suppressing the immune system. So overwhelming stress He's going to try to do. Another area is in our, in our mind. So heap negative thoughts and negative experiences to try to invoke that neuroplasticity I talked about last week and change your mind and set up those tracks in your brain to always think that negative thought over and over and over again or that negative experience in the past over and over and over again and you can't get out from under it. That's what His intention is. God's intention, our welfare. His intention, to steal, kill, and destroy. The other area that all of these lead to is chronic inflammation in the body. And that also comes by what we eat. So he's going to throw up little Debbies and Twinkies and Eskimo pies and all that stuff to try to get you to slip over there and, and, and satisfy the craving of the body, and then it sets up this inflammatory state in the body, and all of that wrapped together leads to chronic disease. It leads to hypertension, obesity, diabetes, uh, dementia, all of those kinds of things it leads to, and that's what he's all about. But the first defense against all of that is the Word of God. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. Satan comes to tempt him. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's going to tempt him in the same thing he tempts us in, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And Jesus thwarted him. He defeated him by his word. So church, you need to know the word. You need to eat the Word and let it become a joy and rejoicing to you because you are called by His name. And let that Word be your constant food and hide it in your heart. Sup on it every day. 
because that is your first line of defense for well-being. Amen? Okay, so that, that sets up the, um, the spiritual underpinning, the foundation, the rock that we stand on. But now I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and, and talk about what we can do in order to be good stewards of our bodies. Remember, we are not our own. We were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, and so we are to glorify Him in our bodies. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1. So what are the contributors to well-being? Well, you already know them because I've already talked about them. The four pillars of health. If you are not doing the four pillars of health, you cannot expect to walk in well-being. The first one is nutrition. You have to be eating an anti-inflammatory diet. A diet that is wholesome. It's what your mom always told you to eat. Eat your vegetables. So vegetables and fruit and grains, I've talked about all of that. I'm not going to reiterate it tonight. The other thing is exercise. We were made to move, so we have to be out moving. Move the body. Uh, train the body aerobically. Train it with resistance training to increase the strength of your muscles. But, but exercise is absolutely vital. Restorative sleep. We need the sleep. The sleep knits up our bodies at night. And I've talked about how your brain is even restored at nighttime. That house cleaning goes on in your brain as you sleep. So you need good restorative sleep. And then the, the, the last one it has to do with stress. But I'm going to say mindfulness and meditation because that's the way that you de-stress the way that you invoke the relaxation response. And so mindfulness and meditation, and last week I talked about Philippians 4.8, where Paul says, hey, I want you to, um, to think on what's pure, what's lovely, what is honest, what is excellent, what's of good report, what's worthy of praise. Think on those things. Because then you renew your mind. You're making new tracks in the brain, and they are for our well-being. Amen? Okay. There's another one that I haven't talked about. It's very, very important. And that is connecting with nature. When God created man, Adam and Eve... Where did he set them? In the garden. In the garden of Eden. It was beautiful. They were to tend the garden. And so they were in the midst of the creation that God had created and had said, this is good. And they were connected with nature. So what do you suppose the enemy will do? Disconnect us. From nature. And that it happened in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned, and what happened? They got kicked out of the garden. And already the disconnection with nature was happening. 
And now it has just become rampant. And there's a thing uh, called nature deficit syndrome. An author by the name of Richard Louvre, who wrote The Nature Principle, coined the term. And it's where actual disease, both physical disease and mental disease, happen because of the lack of connection with nature. And we particularly see this in the big cities um, and where there's nothing but concrete and asphalt and tall buildings. So there's, there's a, a disconnect. But multiple studies have been done showing that exposure to nature improves attention, behavior, cognition, social connectedness, uh, physical health, relaxation. In fact, they did a study of people who had uh, had uh, surgery and uh, there were one group of people had a scene outside the window of nature of beautiful trees and some flowers around the trees. The other set of people had a, pic, uh, a scene out the window of a brick wall, another building. The people that had a nature view healed faster and were released from the hospital faster than the ones that looked at bricks. So, it, it, it really it works. Um, but there's another um, uh, interesting thing, and that happens here where we are. Um, we're out in the country, but even we are prone to become nature blind. It's all around us, but we don't see it. And so that brings us back to mindfulness again is when you, are, when you train yourself to be in the moment and aware of where you are and what's going on around you and what the Holy Spirit is doing at that moment, and then you peer out and you see the beauty of the oak trees, the meadow stretching out, the flowers growing up, you even smell the scent of the country, and you connect with nature, it is healing to your soul. It's healing to your mind. So practice connecting to nature. Um, okay, so I, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to talk about four characteristics of well-being. Now, these are very, very important because they're kind of like the core part of well-being, and then I'm going to end with six components, and I'm going to give you verses for each one of those, and, and I'll tell you what I'm, I want you to do with that when we get to it. But the characteristics of well-being that I want to go over, the first one is optimism. Optimism. That is the tendency to expect a good outcome or to focus on the positive aspects of a situation. That's optimism. So a, a lot of studies have been done uh, in, the, in the clinical world with those who are optimistic versus those who are pessimistic. And the ones that are optimistic have better overall health, improved outcomes in serious illness, and uh, long-term quality of life. The optimists. The pessimists, on the other hand, the pessimists, the anxious, the depressed, um, that is all associated with increased mortality in both men and women. So pessimism is dangerous to your health. Um, and some verses that go along with that, uh, 
In fact, you might want to do a study on the Apostle Paul because he exhibits these four qualities that I'm going to talk about tonight. And the first one is Romans 8.18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not uh, worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's optimistic. You know, he's in the middle of sufferings, and yet he's saying, there is a time, there is a hope that I'm going to be there, and, and my glass is half full, not half empty, and I'm going to glory, <clears throat> and it far exceeds and outweighs anything that we have right here. That's optimism. Verse 38 in that chapter, it says, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's optimism. Nothing, no, zero can separate me from the love of God. Optimism. The second one is grit. Everybody thinks automatically, right? The movie True Grit. At least I did. But grit. Grit is perseverance and passion for long-term goals. It is working strenuously toward challenges. It is maintaining effort and interest over the years, even in the face of adversity or even a plateau in progress. One of the biggest um, examples of that to me in, in at least 100 years ago was J. Hudson Taylor as a, um, a missionary to China. That was, he, he exhibited grit in eventually evangelizing every province in China. But also Paul in Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children with whom I am again in travail until Christ be formed in you. That's grit. He is travailing and travailing. He sees the long-term outcome of Christ being formed in them, in that church in Galatians, at Galatia. And then the other one is 2 Timothy 4.7. And it's uh, Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Hey, uh, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's grit. It took him all the way to the end, and he said, and there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's true grit. The next one is gratitude. Gratitude is a deep appreciation for things received, and it's often expressed through actions, uh, maybe even journaling, keeping a record of your gratitude and meditation. And gratitude not only contributes to well-being, but it also um, uh, contributes to one's perception of their health through gratitude. And uh, Psalm 118, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Gratitude. Gratitude for what He has done. First Thess 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So 
giving thanks, being grateful for what he has done for us, being grateful for everything that we have, being grateful for well-being. And then the fourth one, the last characteristic, is resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back from negative experience. Uh, Everyone in in this room and everyone out watching uh, right now have experienced those times where you could either cave in and become uh, desperate and destitute, or you could bounce back and keep on going, and that's called resilience. So here's some of the common traits of resilience. There's a lot of them. I'm just going to pick out some of the big ones. Strong social connections. We have to be socially connected. And and what goes along with that is the ability to ask for help. Emotional awareness. What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my mind? What's going on around me? A strong sense of purpose. Ability to set and reach goals. A sense of optimism. And one really important is you identify as a survivor and not a victim. Pastor Roberts already preached about a victim mentality. We need to walk in well-being as good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you a verse. Uh, This is Paul again, 2 Corinthians 4, starting with verse 8. I'm going to read verses 8, 9, and 16, and 17. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Resilience. And you know what Paul went through, the beatings, the the stonings, the shipwrecks, and and, um, uh, lacking things, resilience. So those, those four things, so optimism, grit, gratitude, and resilience should mark your life in Christ because he has provided everything for us. The Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. 2 Peter 1.3 says that by His divine power, He's given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Everything. That Greek word is pos. It's everything. We have it all so that we can live godly lives. Okay, so now what I want to do is talk about six components of well-being. I urge you to write these down. Write down the scripture references, and um, and I even exhort you to take these and go home and study over these, meditate through them, and ask the Lord, how am I doing in this component of well-being? Do I lack something that you can supply me now as I as I come to you in obedience to your word. So let's get started. The first one is self-acceptance. 
In all of the freedom prayers that I've done, this is a big one. It keeps coming up over and over again, is people really cannot accept themselves. And this is where the enemy weasels in and tries to destroy our identity. And, um, and then it destroys the acceptance of our own selves. But this is what God says about us, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. God decided in advance. He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He decided in advance that He was going to adopt us as sons. He accepted us as we were and cleansed us with the blood of His Son so that we could come into His family. And so we ought to accept our own selves because God has accepted us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He created us in our mother's wombs, and God doesn't make junk. And so we should be able to walk as sons and daughters of the Almighty living God. Number two, purpose in life. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So our ultimate purpose in life is to serve the One who bought and paid for us. And in doing that, remember we started out with Jeremiah 29.11. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. And so he has a plan for every one of us. It is a plan that he, is, he puts us on a destiny line. He teaches us by his word. He trains us by his word. And he leads us to a glorious destiny. So we all have a purpose in life. And so we need to understand and know what that purpose is and to walk in it because the devil is going to steal it if you do not know what it is. And I have seen too many people derailed and they are no longer experiencing well-being in their life because they have no idea where they're going. Number three, environmental mastery. And what I mean by that, it's how well one manages life situations. Your environment, what's going on, the circumstances. We should be above our circumstances, not under our circumstances. So it's environmental mastery. Philippians 4, 12, and 13. Paul speaking, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ 
who gives me strength. So we can be masters of our environment through that. Is when we uh, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we are obedient, when we have His commandments and keep them, then we will have mastery over our environment, our life situations. We will not be defeated because we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. He's promised that He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is with us to the close of the age. The Holy Spirit lives in us. So wherever we go, He goes. And that's how we live and move and have our being in Him. Number four, positive relationships. Positive relationships. Not toxic relationships. Positive relationships. Ephesians 4.16 He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We are interconnected. We are living stones in the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are being built up in Him as living stones. And we are knit together by the Holy Spirit. We are one in the Holy Spirit. And so we have these positive relationships and we need to guard those relationships. And, we, and, and it says, and growing and full of love. So we knit those relationships together with unconditional love known as agape. Fifth, Personal growth. That's the use of your personal talents and your potential. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Another thing that we see in freedom prayer is when a person goes right into the presence of God and they may ask Him, Father God, what gift would you like to give me? And He will speak right into their life. And, they, and He may say, I've heard this, you are a mighty warrior. And then that person is transformed at that very moment. And because the Holy Spirit has spoken into that life, saying that you are a mighty warrior, and that person starts to walk out that gifting in his life for the purpose that God created it for. Amen? The last one is autonomy. And that means living in accord with personal convictions. Psalm 119, verses 111 and 112. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. Autonomy means being able to walk in that personal conviction. The Apostle Paul said, hey, I, I am convinced that he is able to keep what I have committed until that day. That was a conviction. 
And he walked in that conviction. He modeled it. And we can do the same thing. So we walk in that, um, that word of God, that eternal, unchanging truth of God, walking out our story in our gifting in the framework of the body of Christ, and we are walking in well-being. Amen? Okay, so those six things, please. Go home, pray over these, ponder it, look up other verses. There are many, many, many verses in the Bible that have to do with these things. And listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you about walking in well-being. So I want to conclude tonight with a couple more verses. The first one is Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. This is in the Revised Standard Version. I love the way it's, it's written Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. So everything that I've talked about tonight, all the optimism and and the grit and the gratitude and the resilience and, and these other things about who I am in Christ and where I'm going and what my destiny is. And, and in short, that well-being, there are going to come times under the pressure of the world where you would think, ah, I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm going to throw away my confidence. I can't endure any longer. But if you do... It says if you have well-being and you do these things, it, it is directly connected to doing the will of God and receiving what is promised. So you're in danger of tossing that out the window and, and reaping the consequences. So there's the exhortation in Hebrews, don't throw it away. That's why we have one another to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10.35. Hebrews 6.19 is the last verse for tonight. New King James Version. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So that hope that we started with in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's this hope. It's that hope of eternal life, <clears throat> that hope of salvation, that hope of being in His presence for eternity. That's this hope. And that hope is an anchor of our soul, our mind, will, and emotions and it is sure and steadfast. It never wavers. It doesn't matter what the world can throw at you, the wind and the waves, that anchor is down in the bedrock of Christ, and you shall not be shaken. That hope sends us right in to the Holy of Holies, right in to His presence. And church, that's where our well-being lies. Amen? Okay. So, 
Well-being is so important in these uncertain days. So walk in well-being. The Father's given it to you. Next week, I'm going to pick up with um, uh, mindfulness again. And um, in fact, we, it, I haven't really gotten the whole thing together yet, but I, I kind of sense that we're going to be able to practice some mindfulness together next week. Amen. Pastor Robert. Praise God. You know, while I was sitting back there just taking all this in, uh, two thoughts hit me. And the first one is, is, you know, some of the things we, we have already well-developed. You know, like I told y'all before, one of the great things I think about as country people is that we're hard-headed. And so that can be a positive, right? He's talking about grit tonight. You got a lot of grit on the inside of y'all. I, I know it. And, uh, and, and then the, the other thought hit me was that <clears throat> you may be listening to this tonight and you may get overwhelmed because it's easy when you're, when you have a, a rut in your head already that thinks negative, thinks pessimistic. It's going to be like, well, how am I going to get this? It's too much. It's overwhelming. I, I can't do it. But the last thing Dr. Brown shared with us is this hope is an anchor to our soul, right? And so I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to do this, and so I'm going to do it because I want to be obedient. So I want to ask everybody to stand up. If you're at home watching, stand up. If you're driving, just keep driving, okay? <laughs> Don't try this, okay? But, you know, we've all heard that you just got to put one foot forward and start, right? So I want to ask everyone to turn, turn to your, turn to your, take, take, just turn to your right, and then don't step on the person in front of you, but everybody take one step out that direction. Okay, you just made your first step tonight in a, in, in a faith-filled state of wanting to be in well-being. Amen? Amen? So I'm going to pray for you. Don't turn around. Stay in your place. You just made your step. Father, I just declare right now that everyone made a step in faith. They stepped out in faith that this is their first step tonight for heading in that direction of well-being. I declare these people are going to be healthy, wealthy, and blessed in everything that they do. I declare everyone out there, Lord God, listening to this broadcast tonight is grabbing hold of a place of faith and hope that's going to anchor them into the, the, the power of of the Holy Spirit in their lives to come in them and root them down into the word of God that, Lord, they will never, ever be the same. That this night starts a new life for them in a new way of thinking, a new way of walking. And Lord, even just tonight, if even maybe self-acceptance, but tonight they start. I declare it over everyone out there. I declare it over everyone watching. I declare, Lord, right now that they are blessed in Jesus' mighty name, amen. And everybody say, I'm blessed. Look at the person beside you and say, that was a good step you took. Amen. So praise God. I want to pray over your finances tonight. I want to, uh, the, the offering bucket, Dale, maybe you can just set one back there or Mark set one up there. And so there's an offering bucket in the back. 
for all of you out there giving. I just declare, Lord, right now that these are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. I declare their finances are blessed. I declare that everything they touch is blessed. I declare that everything that they do is blessed. I declare, Lord God, there's no fear in finances, no fear of the future, because God, you're the God who takes care of everything. So I declare, Lord God, that those facing financial troubles right now tonight, Lord, it says in Luke 6, 38, given it shall be given unto you. It's a principle of your word. You are El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the one that makes a way where there seems to be no way. And so, Lord, I ask you to bless them, bless their finances, Lord, and bless us, Lord, this night as we go in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.